Hey everyone, welcome to episode 143 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Our games didn't come, so our planning was wasted. Surely we are cursed. <laughs> and Tori Wassana. Ah, uh, I didn't even order it. Well, that explains why yours didn't come. <laughs> uh, we got a, a show for you this week, not the one we were planning. So, uh, yeah, uh, we won't be covering Bravely Default 2 this week. That'll be next week. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, we're going to cover Persona 5 Strikers a bit more now that Tori's finished it. We're going to talk about some of the latest news, including Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and Pokemon announcements. And then we're going to talk about Hellpoint, a new Super Luigi U for some reason, uh, and Littlewood. Uh, so with that, let's get into the updates from the previous episode. Okay, the first update is that uh, I had a disaster this week, and my copy of Bravely Default 2 didn't arrive. Uh, and Andrew, I believe yours only just turned up like yesterday. Um, so we really didn't have enough time to cover it, so we're going to save it till next week when we've uh, both had a, a good week under our belt. Uh, but you've played a little bit, and uh, just in a couple of words, are you enjoying it? It's not the full-on remake of the first game I was thinking it would be. There are new systems. Which I appreciate. Although I, I should put new in air quotes because they're new to Bravely Default, but there's still systems that have been in other uh, 90s RPGs. So they're, they're, you're still not going to see anything new if you're familiar with the RPG scene of that decade. But yeah, you were, ver- you were very excited about tents. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there are tents, <laughs> which was a huge sticking point for me in the first one that there was no tent item. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm enjoying it. It's a pretty... Pretty great RPG so far. Cool. I look forward to trying. Sorry, I believe you've finished Persona 5 Strikers now? I have. I've written some notes to get a bit more in-depth than I did last time. Because last okay. time I was talking about it, it was five hours in. I finished the first um, jail, as they're called. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what, 28 hours later, I finally finished the game. I say finally, cool. because I was expecting 45, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's short <laughs> yeah I mean you wanted to talk about it more last week but a uh, uh, talking cat kept telling you to go to bed so oh yeah that's a Persona 5 joke yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, cool. okay so-, <laughs> so I think it would be good to just kind of touch on every aspect of the game because ultimately this is kind of marketed as a Persona sequel mm-hmm. so it's very Persona in the level design the persona management, because there is fusion for personas as well, and persona abilities, um, weapon and armor customization for your your characters, you know, swapping them out. Mm-hmm. The muso stuff is more the combat, but not the battle design, if that makes sense. So the buttons are pure muso game. You got your weak button and your strong button. And it's just about making combos with those two buttons, really. You know, you keep pressing the weak combo button until you want to end it with the strong one. And depending on where you end it, it does a different thing. There's no social links in this game. It's a bond system. Every time you level up the bond meter, so you do that by just hanging out with your teammates most of the time. Uh, you get bond points that you can spend on perks, which kind of remind me of like in the Legend of Zelda ones. Those were more specific to characters. This is just in general, because you do get all of your Phantom Thieves at the start of the game. So I think it does make sense to kind of upgrade all of them at the same time. So it's things like increasing health and strength and um, there's cooking in the game as well that you can do to... um, to create items but that the first time you cook a dish it increases your bond meter as well but you can increase like the, the strength of the meals the items as well um the the cooking part kind of comes into the whole summer holiday road trip thing so you you travel uh you go up to sendai sapporo uh you're in kyoto uh shibuya is the first level so all of the levels in uh, Persona 5, they're kind of like self-contained buildings, like a castle or art museum and the like. 
in this one, the jails are actually, they mirror the actual city layouts that you get to explore outside of the jails as well. So outside the jails, you got all your stores and everything that you can go gear up, but inside the jail, it's, you know, got that metaverse sort of vibe to it. It's all mm -hmm. distorted. Um, you do ultimately make your way to a castle, but you don't really explore it that much, like one or two rooms. The first three levels are about the same size as a, a palace from Persona 5. And then they just get small all of a sudden. Wow. I was actually kind of disappointed by that. The first three kind of felt like it was going to be like five hours to complete each one. And then all of a sudden they just turn tiny that they, they barely have any transitions to like new rooms it's all just one long corridor hmm. i was really a bit shocked at that one of them just it's tiny <laughs> um you just don't spend that much time there and it kind of because there are sort of certain character developments throughout the game and this particular one is just really short uh, that said, all of the the Phantom Thieves from the first game return. They're all kind of developed characters now. So the uh, conflicts that these characters have with the antagonists, I guess, in each particular arc kind of come from a place of, you know, applying that wisdom that they got from the first game, which I, I found quite nice. Mm -hmm. And you can play each character and you kind of unlock new abilities the more you play them. I wasn't unsure if these abilities were just playtime or if they're determined by level ups or something that I didn't see, but they just happened the more I played. And it's just stuff like new combos, new abilities. Um, each character has their own playstyle. They're all kind of based on the weapons that they have from the original game. So like Joker is really fast with his knives and his guns. Skull can kind of charge up uh, his club because he just uses it like lead pipes and stuff like that. One new character is Sophie. Uh, there's a bit of a mystery around her that kind of develops as the game goes along, but uh, you get to play as her from the beginning as well. And she has yo-yos for weapons, which was... I guess they ran out of, you know, weapons to use <laughs> with all of the <laughs> other characters. One thing that I liked is specific combos will actually trigger elemental effects. So in the original game, if you wanted to attack a weakness based on an element, you had to spend SP to do it. But the combos actually do it in this one, depending on which combo. Um, some characters even get to infuse their weapons with the element, and it just makes uh, hitting those weak points easier. It's not like the original game where one hit kind of knocks them down. They have, um, in, in like the uh, Hyrule Warriors games, there's a sort of a meter that you have to hit at specific times to empty out to topple them. This has the same thing, but the only way that you can empty out the meter is, uh, well, not the only way, the best way is with the elements. Uh, and then once, once they're toppled, you can do an all-out attack, which should be familiar to Persona fans. <laughs> Futaba is still the navigator. She gives you random perks and battles. Uh, she also has a sort of unique thing where you'll find doors that are locked that she'll have to hack and you have to defend her while she hacks. And that's probably the most muso that this game gets is just about, I don't know, a minute or two of just getting attacked by constantly spawning enemies. And then I guess the last thing to talk about is the story. Because these are all, you know, developed characters, there's not a lot. It's it's really just um, revisiting these characters. There's some arcs with the new characters, like Sophie and another character that you get to unlock, which I won't spoil. I think playing this before Persona 5, though, will spoil some little things, but not nothing devastating. But there are specific characters that show up at the end of the first game that uh, are just here at the start. But um, I'd still highly recommend it, but more to Persona fans. I think Muso fans are just not going to find 
a muso game here. Okay, so with that, uh, let's move on to the latest Switch news. Okay, so first up, uh, through an act of corporate awkwardness on social media, they uh, announced finally that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 uh, remaster are coming to Switch later this year. Um, I actually held off from getting it on other platforms, um, partly because it wasn't available on Steam at the time, but also uh, I was holding out hope there'd be a Switch port, given uh, there was a data leak uh, from the release that had the Switch controls in there, so uh, it was was kind of uh, obvious that it was coming, but yeah, I'm I'm really happy for this. Uh, The video that they released, the footage that uh, IGN had, that uh, looked pretty stable, there was no you know, glaring bugs or anything. Uh, either of you two Tony Hawk fans? I've never played one. What? I don't know. I I just never did. <laughs> well, you got to keep in mind, Andy, we, we've got a good 10 years on Tori. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Stupid young people. When Tori was our age, when we liked the Tony Hawk games... Uh, the Tony Hawk games coming out were like Tony Hawk Ride, so <laughs> <laughs> very true. I'm not that young? Are you not? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, anyway, these, these came out when I was like, I don't know, tenish. Yeah. Okay. I, I was sort of starting to go out drinking at that point. So, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they did progressively get worse and very. Uh, noisily so so yeah. a lot of people wouldn't have bothered with with later entries particularly the the motion controlled skateboard one that was <laughs> when i got off but i stuck with the series for a long time and i never stopped enjoying it but tony hawk pro skater 2 i would rank among my all-time favorite mm-hmm. games so uh yeah i'm pretty excited for this port nice if it'll scratch that jet set radio itch i'll give it a shot yeah, a lot of our thing was we would uh, go out for nights out, end up at a mate's, and just then play this till the early hours of the morning. So a lot of fond memories of, of these games. Uh, next up was the news that Monster Hunter Rise is also getting a PC release in 2022. Uh, it was funny, just before it got announced, I did have that wonder whether it would come to other platforms, uh, you know, like a, a year or two later, and lo and behold, PC. Uh, so that's good. I never doubted that PC it would. Players. Uh, and it's also a thing we're going to see way more and more, especially now like PlayStation are jumping on the, the PC bandwagon because they finally realize that a lot of people that have PCs might not want a PlayStation, but they might still want to play those games. So that's uh, another avenue of money for them. I know a member of our community who is eagerly awaiting a Bloodborne PC port. It's the only reason they haven't played Bloodborne yet is because it's mm-hmm. on PlayStation 4 and nowhere else. So that would be a... A pretty big thing for them. Yep, uh, I expect that, and I expect Demon Souls will eventually hit PC. But this is a Nintendo show, so uh, <laughs> let's uh, dial back to probably the big news this week. Let Nintendo be Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> they hosted a Pokemon Presents, uh, which was a bit of a, a celebration of Pokemon history, and also an announcement of what else is coming this year to celebrate that. So the first thing they showed off uh, were the rumoured remakes of Diamond and Pearl, renamed Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. The thing that caused a lot of uh, talk on on the internets was the visual design. Uh, Tori, I know you're not a fan. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Andrew, where did you fall on that? I have a broader feeling about this than just the way these specific games are diamond pearl is where i fell off pokemon i just got so fed up with how it was just the same thing over and over again especially diamond and pearl which were ds games but looked like game boy advance games because they were just that invested in standing still in their development infamously on the show i i was pretty down on sword and shield for still being more of the same so on the one hand, with the chibi design, you know, I, I, I see what they're going for, where they're trying to make it look like an HD polygonal version of what the game looked like on DS, in much the same way Link's Awakening was kind of the same reach for what the original Game Boy game looked like, reimagined. Appreciating that fact does absolutely nothing to interest me in this product <laughs> it's an easy pass for me i do not care about this i i fast forwarded through it in the direct <laughs> i agree that the 
The visual style is ugly, but that's kind of what's endearing it to me. I can't really explain that. I'm extremely into these ugly character models that look like, you know, Duplo pieces in some way. <laughs> but also, there's there's a couple of things that, that make me nervous. It depends how true a remake they are. So I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see some of the series modernization in there, as in, you know, your whole active party will get XP rather than just one or two that you give a stone to. I don't even know if that was a mechanic uh, way back then. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, that's two no's and a, a maybe. Uh, the next thing they announced um, was that they are releasing a spin-off called Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is basically, it looks like they got fed up of everyone yelling uh, Pokemon but Breath of the Wild at them, and that's what they're trying to deliver with this one. Um, they didn't show a great deal. Um, I'd want to see a lot more of it, but it seems like there's stealth mechanics, and it's uh, set well before any of the Pokemon games where you're you're trying to discover these creatures for the first time. Though I did see that Tori had noticed a loophole in that in that you're completing a Pokedex when they don't technically exist yet. Yeah, but how how are you going to number it? There's got to be gaps, right? I mean, you just know there are. <laughs> Yeah, it looks interesting. I'm I'm hopeful that this is the uh, the evolution of the series that I know Andrew was looking for, and that they kind of hinted at with the wild area, but never quite delivered on. Yeah, Andrew, what did you make of what you saw? It felt like Game Freak was cribbing off my notes because almost everything I saw in this trailer was something that I have requested at some point, either on Twitter <laughs> or on this very podcast. Like. Looks like how you catch Pokemon now is you actually have to sneak up on them and throw a Pokeball at them when they're not paying attention. I remember talking about that on this show with a, a former cast member. I said I would rather catch Pokemon like like Goodman does in the Detective Pikachu movie where he tries to catch the Cubone at the start of the movie by sneaking up on it, throwing a Pokeball <laughs> at it, and fails miserably, which is hilarious. But <laughs> kind of looks like that's what they're going for there. Like the battles take place in the world now instead of flashing to the abstract rpg combat area like you actually fight in the world when the battle starts uh, it's gonna uh, remain to be seen how that's going to work because that would be a quite a graphical accomplishment uh having the pokemon react to the different terrains realistically hopefully they can pull that off uh but that's something i've requested and then it remains to be seen how we're actually going to you know, traverse this world because that's what makes a sandbox game interesting is how you get around in it. Whereas like in Sword and Shield in the wild areas, you run around in it. That's really all you do. It's a barely interactive environment. So hopefully, you know, even if it is just a total Breath of the Wild ripoff and it works the exact same way, that's at least more interesting than what Pokemon games have been doing. Like for the past ten years, the best Pokemon game has been World of Warcraft, and that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in that and seeing how they evolve uh, that idea. Um that is coming in uh, twenty twenty two, so we will have to wait a little while to see how that plays out. Uh, I expect that'll be like their big holiday release next year. They said early 2022, but... Uh, oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, looking at how okay. the game was running, the frame rate was pretty questionable. I'm actually surprised they showed this game <laughs> with the state it's running in. So they've still got a lot of work to do on it. I would not be surprised if it does not make that release window. Yeah, it's probably more just, look, we're doing what you said, so just shut the hell up, please. So... So yeah, that was about it. Other other than a you know a nice little uh, intro, I enjoyed that little history through the the Pokemon thing, uh, the whole timeline and everything there about that that was neat. So uh, that's it for the news. So we're gonna move on to the new stuff we've been playing this week. Uh, so yeah, let's get on with that. Okay, I'm going to start this one with the oldest thing on the list, which is New Super Luigi U. Why did I play it? Uh, I have never played it, uh, and I came to that realization when I went to put uh, 3D Land plus Bowser's Fury on my shelf and was like, ah, okay. I thought I'd give it a go. Kind of wish I hadn't. <laughs> so uh, I'll get into why. So Unlike New Super Mario Bros. U, which is also, you know, part of the, the Switch package, which this is on, uh, which was fun, but really, really, really unspectacular. Oh, I 
think I hate uh, Luigi U. <laughs> and it's not not even because it's particularly bad, it's just because everything about it is just done to induce stress. Um, it is stress, the video game. Every level begins with the Mario hurry-up music, which causes panic and mistakes. Uh, the, the short time limit that it puts on you, which is 100 seconds every level, that means that you don't bother with any of the the interesting things to do in Mario games, which is to explore, find secrets, and you know just generally enjoy the level design. That time limit kind of makes it just a, a mad rush uh, to get through. To make it even more stressful, it feels like all the power-ups are almost always positioned in ways so that you'll get them and lose them immediately. Uh, the amount of boss fights I had to win where I was starting as the tiniest version of Luigi was just out of this world, and somehow I kept eking my way through it. Other than that, yeah, it's disappointing me because it also uses the exact same map as New Super Mario Bros. U. Uh, they, they did this as a separate release. It should really have just been DLC, uh, like challenge DLC for the original game, because uh, that's what it is, effectively. Yeah, so I, I, I hate Luigi now. His uh, annoying floaty physics do not work well. <laughs> Under under in pressure situations, he's a bit slippery too on the ground, isn't he? Yeah, he he has a a slippery range after you land, which is kind of annoying. But this version did introduce uh, the Toadette power up the crown, which turns her into Princess Peach in some weird genetic experiment in the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> Peachhead. Uh, yeah, Pe- <laughs> uh, Peachhead, which is. Uh, what spawned all the Bowsette memes, of course. Uh, <laughs> so she can help make things a bit easier, but you know, I'm uh, a masochist in that I wanted to finish it with Luigi because he's the title character. It's just uh, I did not enjoy it at all, but you know, I finished it, it was over quickly. Uh, the second I realized that the, or remembered rather, that the, the star coins weren't tied to progress, I just. Yeah, that was kind of freeing. That helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I did not want to replay a lot of those levels again and again. Andrew, have you ever played that one? No, it's uh, it's new Super Mario, so you know you got to yeah. put a gun to my head to get me <laughs> to play it in the first place. <laughs> the only time I really play a new Mario anymore is when it comes up in a Mario Maker level, and I just immediately roll my eyes when I see it. If there was an option in Mario Maker to opt out of certain level designs, I would immediately turn off the new levels because they're just... <laughs> oh, they are so boring to look at. All the mechanics that I don't like were introduced into that and then re- retroactively applied to all the other versions. Like The way jump pads work in Mario Maker is all based on new, uh, so that's not how jump pads are supposed to work in Mario games stupid new mario introduced that mechanic where you have to press jump to get them to work so that throws me off every single time i see it but anyway <laughs> no no uh, and also the the other thing that they introduced in this is to pick something up you have to press y and r at the same time if it's not a shell <laughs> which just just treat it as a shell what are you doing yeah didn't did not enjoy it uh, but it's done, so at least I can say I have struggled through it. Before I get into something else that I've been struggling through, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Littlewood, which kind of looks like a uh, even cutier version of Stardew Valley, uh, which is set after the apocalypse, where you're rebuilding the world. And Andrew has been tucking into that one this week. Yeah, Littlewood is a town management and social sim. It's set after the big RPG, after the world has been saved, and the hero goes back home to his destroyed hometown, because, you know, it's an RPG, so that's a thing that happens, and he sets about the job of rebuilding it, and it takes place in a world called Solemn, and I play as, of course, the amnesiac hero who something happened during the encounter with the final boss, and I'm anticipating there's going to be a big twist coming on that, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, That made that character lose their memory 
again. So <laughs> that leads you into character creation, and this does the cool thing, the cool new thing in games where you don't pick a gender, you just pick what your character looks like, and if it happens to align with one gender or another, so be it. Otherwise, basically, it, it doesn't matter. So I have to compliment the game for that, at least. And the first characters you meet in town were your two companions on your RPG adventure. Their names are Willow and Dalton, and they immediately set you about the task of rebuilding this town, which is literally just an, an empty map with some randomly applied features to it. You can terraform the entire town to your liking. I, I tried to work with how it was, how the map was generated at the start, because when, when I don't do that, I tend to make very boring layouts that just have all all <laughs> right angles and perfect squares and everything just because I have I have no imagination about design in that way. I just I don't have a background in it, so I just <laughs> I'm not good at it. Over time I eventually decided to just plow my town down into the ground because it was easier to meet all the requests that were being made of me that way. Although I imagine the game would be a lot more interesting if I tried to work around the problems that all these uh, hills and lakes that my town started out with were creating for me. But I will take the path of least resistance every single time. And you get some tokens that let you do that. They're called, like, earth orbs or something that each one lets you turn one piece of grid into a higher elevation, or you can just plow it down into... The lowest elevation, which turns it into water. I had no shortage of those earth orbs. I could go to a randomly generated forest area and I could get more of them there, but I've not felt it necessary to do that because it gives you plenty of tools to work with at the start to terraform your town into exactly what you need it to be. And you can also apply things like dirt to make roads and I like building roads, so I've been very meticulously putting roads between all of my buildings. And you can just do that as much as you want. There's no limitation to the design. There's not even a time limit. The days last as long as you need them to. Uh, but there is a stamina meter in this game, and that is how it kind of works, kind of like a Harvest Moon game, or a Story of Seasons, or a uh, Stardew Valley-style game. Because there are specific days. Uh, each each usage of your stamina meter is a complete day, but rather than working on a specific set of time, the advancement of your stamina meter advances the day. So when you get to about 90% of your stamina meter, then it's suddenly nighttime and you're getting about time to go to bed. And uh, if you keep doing things like chopping down trees to get wood or mining to get rocks or doing certain things with your townsfolk, then that advances your stamina meter. And if you try to keep working once it's full, then you'll pass out and you'll have to start the next day again with your stamina meter not completely reset to zero. So there's a, a lot of encouragement there to go back to town and go to bed once your stamina meter is full. And it's super easy to do. You could literally just open up the menu and you just hit return to, to home. And you can jump right into bed from any point in the game, which is really convenient. It makes the game move a lot faster than the Harvest Moon games where you have to account for the time it takes to get back home before you pass out. And there's also a lot of experience levels. Just about everything you do will build up your experience levels. The, one of the first things I was asked to do was build a marketplace, and every day I sell things in the marketplace to earn the game's currency. And when that happens, at the end of every day, I earned marketplace experience points. And the, the higher my level in marketing, the more items I can actually sell in the marketplace, so I get more money from it that way. And there's, like, gardening, there's farming... There's woodcutting, mining, all these things are tracked individually, and watching the meters fill up at the end of every day is just super satisfying. <laughs> and uh, all your relationships with the other characters have the same thing, like you can talk to them once a day, that'll build it up a little bit. They might ask you to do favors, that'll build it up a little bit as well. They might have requests for their house, like some characters want their houses within a certain proximity of like the coffee shop or the 
general store. Some of them don't want their houses to be too close to something else, so you've got to kind of redesign your town to accommodate for those things, which is the point where I just plowed my town down into a, a flat plane with nothing on it because it was easier to fulfill all those <laughs> requests that way. And you can also compliment one person a day and that just like super boosts their experience meter with you. And you can develop romances too if you keep focusing on one character. I don't know if I can do it with more than one. So I've just been focusing on the one character who I like who's a, a lightning witch who's kind of incompetent but she's really enthusiastic about it. She she appealed to me so I've been <laughs> I've been talking to her every day and complimenting her every day in the hopes that I could get, see her relationship develop all the way to a full-blown romance but I might be able to do it with more characters than just her. I don't know. And just like with character creation, there's no limitations on who you can do it with. Since, again, the game doesn't even recognize if you're male or female. You just hit on whoever you want, and they'll go. They'll roll with it. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the main thing in the game, though, is gathering dewdrops, which is your currency. This is where the game is starting to feel like a big old grind to me. It's not like the other farming sims where... Money is a means to an end, but I've never really felt like getting money is the entire point of the game. In Littlewood, what I played of it so far, and I'm not even close to being done with this thing. I think this is going to be a, a massive like, 30, 40, 50 hour game to get through all of it. Getting dewdrops seems like the be-all, end-all of everything. Because you get dewdrops for selling things in the marketplace, as I mentioned. You can open a tavern and you can cook food with the things you've grown or things you've foraged. That gets you dewdrops as well. Uh, every day you can open your mailbox. There's usually four or five letters in there. People send you dewdrops just because. <laughs> and it's just dewdrops upon dewdrops upon dewdrops. And I, f I feel like there's really no point in saving them. I get dewdrops. I immediately spend them. I go to the general store and I buy blueprints, which expands the amount of items that I'm able to build for other people when they request them because sometimes when they request you to build something they'll immediately give you the blueprint to make it otherwise they request it and then I need to wait until I learn to do that from the blueprints available in the general store so there's a lot of RNG involved in that part also more importantly is the town wishes one of the first buildings you can get is the town hall and you're immediately appointed mayor although going into how much customization into this game is uh, you can appoint yourself any title you want so if you want to be overlord or dictator or uh, evil sorcerer or whatever it is you want to declare yourself that's that can be your role in town but i just went with the default mayor and you can twice a week on wednesdays and saturdays you can buy new wishes for your town that basically just expand the things that happen in town, like you might be able to find more dewdrops just wandering around town that might make it so that way more fish will spawn every day. It might make it so that way when you catch bugs, there's a certain percent chance that when you catch a bug, you'll catch an extra bug with it. And this is where it started feeling like a Facebook game to me. <laughs> it felt like I was playing something along the lines of Farmville, but I was still <laughs> walking around in the world like it was a world that you know needed to be explored but once i started seeing that dewdrops were like my main goal for everything and there really wasn't any meaningful time limit in place it's just managing my stamina i started to question the construction of the game as you know having a world that you can explore like everything i was doing is like I need like a certain amount of wood to buy this upgrade or to build a certain town. I've got to walk all the way to my lumber cutting house and cut the lumber there, then walk all the way back. Nothing is really set up so you can see what you need. Uh, at a glance, you have to walk to the thing you're upgrading, look at what it needs, then walk back. So days were really varying in the amount of time I was spending in them. Some days would be five minutes long before my stamina ran out. Other days I would be playing for a half an hour to maybe over an hour just because I was doing a lot of design that day with the town. And I just started to feel like this game would probably work better if it was entirely menu driven. I understand that 
it's a game that you can explore because it, a lot of it is about design and like making your ideal town and if you don't like something it's super easy to redo it as i said you just need those earth tokens to terraform your your location and like buildings can be moved around at no price you just gotta point at them and say move it over here then rebuild the area where the building was and then move the building back in or put it wherever it is you want it to go it's super low stakes in that regard it's fun like in a dragon quest builders kind of way to really set up your town in the ideal way you want it or in any way you can imagine it being but as far as the actual goals of progressing through the games i found running around got tedious after a while and i i've only played the game for about 10 hours and i'm already feeling it's tedious not the best management game i've played i would say but i think if you're into you know that that design side of things like designing your own town and it's super fast and easy it's really similar to animal crossing actually the things that you can do but there's no limits on your time or on your resources like animal crossing pushes on you so if you really enjoyed designing your own island in animal crossing and you just want more freedom to do that stuff with without the time constraints i think that's where littlewood is strongest but uh, in terms of progressing through its systems and accumulating dewdrops, i'm already getting tired Oh, it sounds like a shame because it looked like a really good, uh, you know, take on the Stardew Valley stuff, uh, which seems to be the undisputed king still. So uh, the last thing we're going to talk about this week is Hellpoint. Uh, Andrew said last week he was expecting to get it, but uh, his delivery was pushed back into March, possibly because of the raging weather over there. That's my best guess, but. I'm now waiting to hear your reaction to it. My my finger is hovering over the cancel pre-order button. Oh boy. So no pressure. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wasn't going to get it because of the price, but uh, Fate uh, handed me a uh, review code for this. So uh, thank you for the developers for handing that over. It was really appreciated. And they were, they were super accommodating as well because they sent me a US code at first uh, and then they were happy to swap it for an Oz one after so you know big up there hellpoint you can tell exactly what type of game this is going to be when you hit the start screen because you're greeted with a black hole that looks suspiciously like the dark souls dark sign <laughs> um this is a, a souls like uh this is highly influenced by dark souls uh, last week in closing we theorized on whether it was dark souls meets doom or whether it was dark souls meets dead space it's both uh, but also with a dash of Bloodborne. So I'll get into that, because uh, those without much experience in Souls or Bloodborne would scoff and ask if that's the same thing. Well, no, it's not. The story, uh, you land at an abandoned space station uh, just beyond the far reach of a black hole, which looks like the dark sign. Upon docking, you exit the ship as a pool of mercurious liquid that transforms into a robot of some variety. Uh, at some point you're informed that you are the first human and you've got to find out what's happening on the space station. Uh, this leads into Souls-style uh, drip-fed lore about occult worship and weird experiments that were taking place on the ship. Uh, as much as I've found out so far, so whoever was doing these rituals and these experiments, they were using a combo of distractions to lead Lovecraftian-styled cosmic horrors through the black hole, and then some of which have taken root inside the station and have it under their control. Uh, so while their designs are more hellish and more in line with what you see in Doom, it's, it's kind of the concept of cosmic horror that's quite Lovecraftian that I thought was the uh, was pretty cool, which is where it sort of ties in more with, with Bloodborne rather than Souls. So when I went over Ashen, I kind of went into what Dark Souls does and what Hellpoint, uh, sorry, what Ashen didn't and what it did differently. Here I'm just going to try and talk about what it does differently because uh, it does a lot of interesting things with the Dark Souls formula. For example, enemies don't respawn when you interact with its version of uh, bonfires, which are like breaches or rifts, um, but they operate on a timer instead. Uh, so you can clear the path to a boss pretty easily and that will stay clear until the time limit resets uh, which is pretty useful also resting at the breaches doesn't uh, replenish your healing items 
only attacking enemies will do so, and that happens kind of on a slow recharge with every hit. Uh, but death will actually reset both enemies and, and your, your healing back to its base level of two. There are other things you can do with the breaches. So there there is kind of an easy mode here uh, in a fashion. So you can get items. Uh, there are two. So there's the Fearful Effigy and the Daring Effigy. They both have an impact on the difficulty of the game. So you can spend the Fearful one to make it easier, or you can use the Daring one to make it more difficult. I have used the Fearful Effigy so far and i'm going to get into why because there's uh, an element of the game where it's it's kind of not playing ball so i'll talk about that shortly about why i made that decision um the other interesting thing you can do with the breaches is you can choose which ones to make fast travel points uh so a bunch of them after key bosses will automatically have this feature but the the rest in between you can decide which ones you can fast travel to uh so that gives you a lot of strategy which uh, i'm trying to do it so i'm near you know, useful machines where you can upgrade things or, you know, NPCs, etc. So in this game, your souls are called Axiom. When you die, like like in Souls, sorry, these comparisons are going to be impossible to avoid. Uh, you can go retrieve them uh, as you can in, in the other games. But in this one, they are protected by your ghost, uh, who you might have to kill so they're, they're not always like standing on the souls uh, they will patrol the area so if, if you're nimble enough you can get in get them back and run away before your ghost even spots you um, other games have had similar mechanics to this uh, the problem that I had with this one is that uh, in the first area uh, in one of the first rooms there's a shaft uh, with a bridge across it but with the visual downgrades and possibly the lighting, uh, the shaft and the pit looked exactly the same. So they, it looked like a floor, so I fell to my death. Uh, and then it was protected by a ghost, and I had not had any chance at all to level up or spend points on anything or get decent weapons. So uh, the, the first portion of this game was just me struggling against my equally weak <laughs> ghost. Yeah, that was kind of annoying. I, I was fine once I got past the area and was able to, to get up a few levels. That got a bit easier, so I, I no longer fear myself after I've died, so that's nice. Uh, another thing it does differently is that, uh, as I alluded to above, uh, time is super important. So there's a clock in the top left corner. Every so often, uh, the station will enter black hole hour. Uh, so that can be uh, mean a bunch of different things. So it could mean extra bonuses from bosses. It can mean uh, challenge rooms will appear in areas that you've been through before. Uh, that's causing me a problem in my current area because I'm stuck on a boss and the path to him is through one of these challenge rooms. So there's a whole period of time that's wasted because I can't get through there without engaging with the challenge, which is uh, pretty annoying. But also the outside of the black hole uh, hour, the the time uh, also changes the layout of the enemies in all areas. I, I like that a lot because it actually changes up. So one of my complaints with the Demon Souls remake was that I'd only just played the original PS3 version. Like, I knew where every enemy was when I came into the remake. So it was just a bit like going through the motions. Whereas, so this keeps you on your toes depending on the time frame. So I, I appreciated that a lot. Then we start getting into where I was having problems with it so uh first of all combat feels really loose and imprecise um but that's not helped by a bunch of different factors this is possibly related to the inconsistent frame rate but i've had a lot of hits that should definitely hit just with for no reason whatsoever um i can't explain it so like i will be like face to face with the enemy the blade will cut through them but nothing happens to their health bar which is incredibly frustrating um, and also the lock-on is really unreliable so you'll it'll drop off for no reason whatsoever uh, so this this is a genre where the the margins between success and failure are really really super fine and every hit counts so when when it's feeling like you're being robbed of successful hits uh, it starts to feel like it's working against you denying you valid strikes that's when this genre starts to feel unfair uh, and this is where hellpoint falls down massively so in all of from's games and the the other souls likes have played very few of them have felt unfair in this way 
I've spent entire weeks stuck on you know one or two Dark Souls bosses. So in the first game, there was Black Dragon Calamite, who took me like four days for me to nail his his patterns. The Nameless King, who is you know notoriously difficult, uh, I banged my head against him for three days and you know finally got it. But whenever I died to those characters, I could always tell that it was something I did wrong. Like I, I didn't dodge in time or I misjudged my distance or I hadn't learned their patterns correctly. Whereas in this one, learning the patterns is kind of irrelevant if you're not going to be able to get the hits in when you need to. So that's that's super disappointing. Um, it it seems to time with the frame rate because, it, it, you know, it pauses once or twice uh but I don't know if this is a thing that's apparent on the PC game either. Um, and that ties into a bunch of other technical problems. So first up, not particularly the game's fault, because this will be a platform problem, but the loading screens are really long. So if you're tying that in with a long uh, run to the the boss, you die, you've got the long loading screen, then you've got to get there again. That can be a bit frustrating. As I mentioned, the frame rate is all over the place. Uh, it's definitely worse in some areas. Uh, there was one particular area where it was, you know, coming down to a crawl at times as I was passing through. And it wasn't even that, like, technically impressive an area. Like, if, if the Switch can handle Blight Town in Dark Souls 1, it, it should be able to handle everything this game's thrown at it so far. Uh, so that's disappointing. There, I had times where I fell through scenery and then it hard crashed after repeating a load of polygons. <laughs> uh, which was a nice visual pattern, but frustrating especially when you tie it in with the loading screens the good thing is because it, it treats it like dark souls as if so when it crashes it treats it as if you've quit out so in dark souls you can quit out wherever you like and when you jump back in you'll you'll land in exactly the same spot this is similar but it will put you back at the starting uh, breach um the only progress you will lose is that enemies will have respawned when you load it back up so that's kind of annoying so it's it's a bit of lost progress but not you know that dire where you know where you're just gonna feel beaten down every time it happens uh, but it is really annoying when it happens when you die to a boss fight and then it hard crashes during the loading again like there are a couple of times i, I just stopped playing it in the week just because i was struggling against the boss the boss killed me and then it crashed during the loading and it's just like i, I can't be asked sitting through this for some reason i keep persevering which I I'll, I'll get into i have had problems in my favor uh, so I was struggling in a boss fight where there are two enemies, uh, and a large part of why I was struggling was because of the hits not registering. And then suddenly in my fourth go, something weird happened where uh, one died suddenly, and then the other had very little health. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess I got past it, but not in the way that I would like. Like, I, I want to feel like I've accomplished learning their patterns and getting through it that way. On, on the current boss where I'm at now, I'm getting fed up of the, the missed hits. So I used the item to make it a bit easier to help me get through it. So that wasn't going to be as factor. Uh, sorry, it wasn't going to be a factor as much. Uh, and I also summon someone in, which I generally don't do if I have the choice. Um, and I wouldn't have done it here if it wasn't for the technical problems. In the middle of the combat, I backed off. They took the boss's focus and I used a healing item and it just did not do anything. And then I didn't notice until it was too late, and then I took a hit and died. That's frustrating. Interestingly, though, if you have someone summoned in, uh, when you die in Dark Souls, they get booted out, uh, and you have to spend an item to turn human again to be able to summon them back in. Uh, here they stay with you and they respawn with you, which I thought was neat. That That's a, little, uh, a cool little feature. And then uh, I had problems with camera shakes. So... Uh, this gets a bit weird to figure out because at the start of the game the camera would shake when I was in menus like really aggressively and it would also happen when I was stood on certain platforms but the more I've played it the more I can tell it's meant to symbolise black hole hour but I think those early instances were definitely bugs like the, the way they shook were way too aggressive compared to how it happens in other moments of the game uh, and then just broad criticisms the menus are kind of gross the text is really small and all the icons are done they're tiny and they're done in gray and really dark gray so it's hard to distinguish what they are i've learned what they are just from you know having to use them um but they're not very accessible in, in terms of their palette or anything it's it's not obvious uh initially 
the other bad thing this does, which isn't this doesn't fall under technical problems, but um, it has platforming sections. A lot of the really useful items are hidden behind platforming, and the platform is kind of terrible. Um, it does have a dedicated jump button, but if this is a Souls-like with a dedicated jump button, then I kind of don't want it. Uh, I'd prefer From's version, as, as awkward as that can be. Most of From's games, like, jump isn't meant to feel like a a possible thing at times. It's, you know, used to hide incredible secrets and things, whereas in this it feels like a point, and it kind of fails at that. Just before I, I move on, um, the multiplayer I touched on it is handled pretty much the same as, as Dark Souls. Uh, you can leave messages for people for clues, which is interesting, because what happens is you uh, you leave a handprint on the wall uh, with a message and you use hieroglyphics to try and tell them what that is, so you have to decipher what they're leaving you. Uh, so, for example, there was one, there was a hidden door, and someone had left a message that had a like a Wi-Fi signal logo in it, and I... I figured out that meant there was a switch somewhere that would trigger it wirelessly, which I found. And handprints are also how you, you know, summon others and make yourself available for summoning. You you leave you slap a handprint down and they they can come in. Um, as far as I can tell, there are no invasions, uh, or at least I've certainly not had any. They seem to be voluntary. Like there'll be red handprints, which will then you know ask if you want to have a duel with someone else, which you know I, I tend not to engage with if I can. And everything else is just pretty much the soul system. Like you'll you'll find uh, blueprints and materials, and you can use them to build new gear at like three D printing stations, which are the replacement for the you know blacksmiths and and things like that. Uh, I do have some positives. the The boss fights, I think, without problems, I think I would like them a little more than Ashen. Uh, they're a little more mechanically interesting and they're more based on skill than Ashen was. Uh, Ashen, I felt like I could model through most of them without learning every pattern. This, you have to learn the patterns. Uh, that is, of course, let down by the, you know, the, the hits not hitting, uh, which is frustrating. But the, the, the idea behind, behind the bosses are a lot more interesting. And I love the, the setting and the visual design. So, uh, like, when you first start off, you're this you know, clothless android. Your starting weapons is like an axe, but if you look closely at it, it's literally like a pipe ripped from the wall with uh, sharp shrapnel fixed to it. Uh, the shield looks like it's a panel that's been ripped off the wall with the the pipes in in, in check. And then, then as you sort of, uh, you pick up new weapons and upgrade, they sort of get more, more and more interesting and, you know, based on the ones that the enemies have. Uh, also, the enemy designs are really cool um i particularly enjoyed some in the area i'm in now where they're they're like aliens dressed in victorian outfits if those outfits were made out of meat so in my head i've just been (laughs) called i've been calling them meat victorians i'd like to meet a victorian (laughs) but like some of it is wasted like there's a there's an enemy in this area where it's a you know big fat enemy he's got a mouth in his stomach but it doesn't do anything like it'll open and close but it doesn't attack with that and like in a souls game by from they would save that and they would hit you with it when you're least expecting and that that stomach would eat the crap out of you (laughs) uh here it's just doing like arm slashes and stuff it's it that sort of thing lets it down where i'm landing on it so far is it's kind of one of the most frustrating souls likes i've ever played and not because it's hard but just because how it fluffs the fundamentals there are genuine moments where I'm I'm going through. It's tense. The level design is 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 pretty decent, uh, and it's like, yeah, I think I'm really enjoying this. But then, as soon as you hit one of those uh, technical hiccups, it just completely ruins it. There's a good game hidden here somewhere. It's just everything about it is actively preventing me from enjoying that side of it. So. Yeah, it's a shame. Like, if if you've done with Dark Souls on on Switch and you're looking for another game in this genre, definitely pick up Ashen uh, over this. Andrew did make a, a very good point privately that you know the PC version started rough. It definitely has its fans. Like, I've I've been doing like research on the PC port just to see how much of my complaints won't carry across. It does seem that they've worked on it and fixed it. So. 
uh, its strength on Switch could live or die depending on how much they're willing to put the work in and 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 patch it. But uh, yeah, at, at the moment I'm I'm this way or the other about whether I'm going to quit in frustration. Uh, I'm at least going to stick with it until my copy of Bravely Default Two arrives, and then I'll I'll, I'll take it from there. Because uh, I'm such a big fan of the genre, I really, really, really wish that I could stick with it and beat it, because it's one of those things I'd like to have ticked off. Uh, but yeah, it's it's far from enjoyable in its current state. Ah. So, Andrew, I, how was you hovering over the, the cancel button going? I cancelled it while you were talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting, you know, this to be... A Dark Souls level experience, and I, I know that I was not super positive about Dark Souls when I talked about it a couple years back now, but mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy it, and I do think it's a well-designed game, and I, I, from what I've read about the sequels, I think I will enjoy the sequels more, uh, mm-hmm. but back to the point of Hellpoint, like, you know, I, I was counting on it being probably even a mediocre experience but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean i'm not going to enjoy it that doesn't mean i don't want to play it i i enjoy playing games and i I like playing even the ones that aren't the groundbreaking you know tentpole releases as i I play a new game every week for the show so not all of them are winners and not all of them are trying to be you know like divine experiences and that's fine and that was kind of what i was counting on hellpoint being the only reason I canceled it was just like Andy was talking about the technical stuff. Like I, I'm perfectly happy to come back to this if they patch it on Switch to be in parity with the PC version, which is apparently a lot better now than it was at launch. And it sounds like a lot of the problems it was having at launch are the problems that are now happening with the Switch version, which is a uh, just part of the porting process. They often start mm-hmm. from a certain point during the game's development, not necessarily the most recent version that are available on PC, because that's that's just how the porting process works. Um, so I'll come back to it after a price drop, probably. Uh, the, the PC thing is interesting, because you can often tell uh, when a game's been ported straight from PC. I can't explain it. It's like a feel. Can, like on, on old consoles, you could always tell when it was a, a PC port, just because of the... Like the the way it handled, the, you know, like uh, people would always call it a lazy PC port. I don't think any, there's such thing as lazy development because uh, game development is really difficult. It's so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it does feel like they've just taken the game and tried to squash it down. I didn't talk much about the, the, the graphical differences. Obviously, I've not played the PC version. Uh, it looks fine outside of the uh, pit that I couldn't tell was a pit. Um, in the early bit, I, I adjusted like the gamma and the lighting and the menu, and you know that that's been a bit better. Yeah, it does have that look of a game that's just been squashed down from PC, and that's about it. Like mm. not not like purposefully ported for the Switch. Um, and I find a lot of those games that have that feel are the ones that tend to crash a lot. Yeah, that you know that 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 could just be uh, you know a thing that's happened to me. You know. Yeah, visually it's fine. I looked up a boss fight because I, I I got so fed up with these hits not landing that I I wanted to see a you know see someone else beat the boss just to see what they were doing differently, and like the the boss I'm stuck on at the moment uh, in mine the arena is just lit you know all the way to the edges and on the PC version it's like a lot more atmospheric. There's only a circle of light. It kind of reminded me a bit of uh, one of the DLC fights in the original Dark Souls. Um, the Abyss fella, I can't remember his name. Magnus of the Abyss, um, where you're just you've got like this tiny patch of light in the middle, and every, you know the boss can run off to the sides, and you won't be able to see them. Like you lose that sense of atmosphere here, but o- otherwise the atmosphere's you know pretty decent. I, I think they that's the part they nailed the best. I think um, I did actually pick up uh, another Souls game at the weekend. Uh, we went out after. An annoying crash on a boss. So I, I picked up another one, which is called uh, Kronos Before the Ashes, which, from looking at the screenshots on the back, I actually thought was going to be a you know, like a prequel to Ashen, but it's not. It's, it's actually a prequel to a VR Souls like. Sorry, a sequel to a VR Souls like. So uh, yeah, I, I, I look forward to giving that one a go as part of my loophole in being able to play this genre for the podcast. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it for this episode.
Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? As if we didn't know because of my delivery failure. Andrew, we'll start with you. I'm going to be playing Bravely Default 2 alongside Andy, and I also have gotten a code from our friends at Stride PR through Rapereka for a, say it with me now, an 8-bit retro <laughs> rhythm music RPG, oh, actually. Wow, it's not okay. a platformer this time, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called Everhood. It looks really cool. I'm excited to play it. And Tori? Um, I'm going to have to look through the backlog to see if there's anything I want to play. I don't have anything in mind at the moment. Uh not briefly default to unfortunately uh we've been trying peer pressure it's not working <laughs> maybe i'll try go back and play the first one again you don't need to it's a new story new mechanics <laughs> but i can't i can't play a sequel unless i played the first one usually i'm with you well but when it's a you know a separated story, if it's like you know Final Fantasy, you you'd be happy to jump into the newest one and not not the you know not start from the first, which I tried. That's um, true. Maybe. And you'd also have to play Bravely Second, and you'd have to go back to the DS, and you'd have to play a game called Final Fantasy: The Four Heroes of Light, <laughs> which was the game that preceded Bravely Default and has its graphical style and its basic story elements. Or you could just play Bravely Default too. I'll look into <laughs> it. <laughs> Which is its own thing. Try the demo. Yeah, I'll try the demo. See how I feel. Cool. Done. Sorry, he's playing the demo. That's what they're playing this week. Peer pressure. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Use this power responsibly. No. <laughs> So the only purpose of peer pressure is to use the power irresponsibly. That's why it exists. <laughs> Screw you, Uncle Ben. Okay. okay. Okay, thanks for listening to episode 143. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get notice. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. Uh, PlayState has had two episodes since Christmas. Power of X is coming back this very weekend, I believe, so make sure you check out those. Uh, that's a PlayStation show and an Xbox show, retrospectively, uh, if you weren't in the know. Um, and we're all part of the Game Podular Network. Be sure to check out our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all this are in our show notes. Uh, if you want to support the shows and the network, you can buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by Andrew. Uh, you can follow him at PlayCritically on Twitter, uh, and you can read his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter too. Uh, I'm at Flame Roast Toast. And you can also follow Tori. She's at STWTWO.
Um, What's it called? Kronos Before the Ashes. Which is a sequel to... A VR game called Kronos. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I got you now. A VR Souls. I got you yeah. now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, VR Souls. Yeah, okay. Phonetics, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe cut that bit out. Enunciate. 